Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Manamana. 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 Barbara Gordon Podcast, Episode 21, for May MMXI. Kimberly Rockmore has the night off. Episode 21 is brought to you by Wine Off, the spray, deodorant, or wipe that shields you from whining. Dealing with agitated parents? Is your house full of fussy toddlers? Do your students complain all day long? Protect yourself from these bothersome remarks and whiny tones by using Wine Off. Just one spray will protect you for 24 hours. Wine Off also comes in a deodorant and wipe. And new in summer of 2011, Wine Off plug-in. Now your entire room or house can be wine-free. Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are August's Batgirl number 24 and Birds of Prey number 15, both for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Okay, so I'm going to start off this hour, I guess, uh, with questions and comments that I've received from you, I guess, in the past two months since I've sort of skipped this this section of the podcast for the past two episodes. So I, I you know, I haven't forgot about you, so just get started with that. So first from Cool B, he says, Hi, Stella. Not too many comments this time around, but wanted to let you know that I enjoyed the last couple episodes. Even though episode 19 seemed to be lacking a bit in the bads department, 
Hoffman, like someone was playing a joke on us or something. Go figure. Also found out recently that the cable channel The Hub has been airing episodes of the 1966 Batman show and are currently airing episodes from season 3. Although they aren't showing them completely in order or they have another airtime since some episodes seem to have been skipped. I know I've seen some of the episodes before, but it's nice to have a fresh viewing in my memory when listening to the Babs in the Tube segments. Keep up the awesome work and continue to fly on, Babs lover, Cool B. Well, thanks, Cool B. Uh, definitely, episode 19 was fun to put out. Uh, just a, a quick one um, for April Fool's Day, and I thought, you know, I didn't do one last year, and this kind of seems a time. And, of course, I was going to go over those issues anyways, the ones that say Babs makes an appearance, but she's not really in there. And I thought, well, that's a, it's a kind of the perfect time. And, of course, the Superman heart one, it's, it's pretty uh, disturbing. I hope you guys have a chance to read that. At least that part is pretty disturbing. And as for the hub, uh, that's pretty exciting. I know a couple people uh, that get that channel. Um, I, my parents actually watched the A-Team on that channel, but I don't know if they've ever caught Batman from 1966. So I'm glad that you're at least catching up and watching along as I go over them. I'm thoroughly enjoying just watching them uh, and going over them myself. So cool deal. Next up we have TNR105. He says, Hey Stella, I've discussed this with you via PMs, but I thought I would write in to expand and share with other listeners. To cut down details, my statements will be in bullet points. Okay, so this, just to give you a little uh, idea, this is all about the new Batman game that's about to come out in October, I believe, uh, Arkham City. So we've kind of chatted back and forth over at the crawl space, just what we thought was going to happen, and of course there's of course there's a thread up there so this uh, he's just gonna go through some of these here so okay we know Alfred is taking over for Babs in Arkham City Babs is missing somewhere in the city and is not answering her phone as seen in screenshots we see a clock tower could this be Oracle's clock tower two-face kidnapped Catwoman could Oracle's kidnapping be related Catwoman is known to have a relationship with Batman but two-face wouldn't know Babs is Oracle Hugo Strange is a big player. He knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. Could he know the identities of the Bat family? Could other Bat family members be held hostage inside the city as well? Both Riddler and Zaz will have side stories that aren't mandatory in the game. Riddler also knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. In screenshots, Riddler is in front of computer terminals. Could he have taken over Oracle's tower as his territory in the city? Just because it's been stated there will be no multiplayer doesn't mean no sidekicks. Could they be uh, NPCs or non-playable characters we have to rescue like Gordon and the Arkham staff in the first game? DLC theories ahead, so downloadable content. Maybe different characters for challenge maps. Each character has their own challenge. Catwoman's whip could be used similar to the grapple hook and line launcher. Nightwing's acrobatics could substitute for gliding and hopping gargoyles. Batgirl, Cassandra in this case, could have tons of stealthy takedowns. Detective mode was made for Tim Drake. So, like No Man's Land, each villain has a territory. Could there be a Bat Family member in each territory we have to hunt down like a Riddler trophy? Once we find them, could we unlock a challenge map that lets us play with that character? Phew, that was long-winded, but very good possibilities. Rocksteady has put polls on the Arkham City website forums asking what we would like to see for DLC. So if you want it, guys, go let your voice be heard. Well, that is my long rambling, so now a question for you. 
What are you looking forward to most from Arkham City and what is something you would really like to see? Well, in general, I'm looking forward to the whole game. I thought the first one was really fun. Um, <laughs> it was scary in parts, especially the croc parts kind of made me nervous. I had to put the lights on. But it was just really well thought out and I think it was they did something that I think no superhero game has seen as of yet uh, so I'm interested to see them expand on that you know detective mode and just the way the fighting went on and everything and it was really beautiful as well so looking forward to the game definitely I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing sidekicks I would like to see Robin and Batgirl no matter which Batgirl it is so I'm hoping that we get to play as them if not it would at least be great to see them and of course you know what I really want to see I do really want to see Babs whether or not she has a part who knows but it would be great because that would be awesome if they made a third game and then they kind of bring in some of the birds of prey to help Batman out but I guess it is a Batman game so why bring them in but overall these are really good thoughts and of course you've brought more information probably than I I knew about just from reading on IGN so I guess we'll see if we have to rescue people I feel like I, I one of the things that I never liked about games is rescuing people or chasing people and the rescuing people is because you always have to protect them and be sure they don't die and it usually happens that they die at least once and then I have to restart so it just annoys me but if I'm going to go to the trouble of rescuing that would be awesome if I could play as that character so if I'm going to rescue Robin hey can I play as Robin later but that would be awesome if as downloadable content we could download a player and that person have challenge maps I didn't get any of the DLCs for the first game but I would probably invest if I had the opportunity to play as Robin or Cassandra or Stephanie, if it were uh, that. So looking forward to it, definitely. So thanks for bringing those those thoughts and, I guess, hypotheses to the table, TNR. And finally, we have Ian, Dear Batgirl to Oracle Podcast. I just discovered your show and really enjoy it. I was wondering if you were planning on reviewing the story Oracle Year One, found in Batman Chronicles number no. 5 by John Ostrander and Kim Yale, which I think is a really good response to the killing joke. And are you planning on covering the rather disappointing, in my view, Birds of Prey television series in your Babs in the Tube segment? Thanks for producing such an enjoyable podcast. Well, thank you, Ian, for your kind comments. Uh, I'm definitely going to cover Oracle Year One when I get to that, I guess. I'm in 1971 right now, so I've got a little bit to go, but definitely I am going to cover that. And uh, you brought up the, the bad word, the killing joke. So, yeah, I do have to cover that, of course. So this will be good uh, since you speak highly of Oracle Year One. Maybe it'll clean my palate after the killing joke and I am going to go over the Birds of Prey television series in Babs in the Tube I guess after 1966 I'll probably do Batman Forever wait hold on no Batman and Robin I have to check timelines but I'm pretty sure that came out before Batman the animated series if not at the same time but I did want to do a special uh, with somebody kind of chatting with them as we watch the movie, one of those, and then go into the episodes that she was in in the ba the animated series, and then of course we have Batman Beyond, and then probably Birds of Prey. I guess that would be in order. So, yeah, I you know 
I understand how it was disappointing Birds of Prey, and one of the reasons why I didn't like it as much is because of Dinah, and she was just kind of an annoying teenager to me, and I really wanted, obviously, Dinah, Dinah Lance, the Black Canary, who made it, you know, guest appearance, Laura Laughlin. But there were some really great moments, especially with Babs putting on the suit and fighting Lady Shiva. So, you know, it's it's give and take, but you can see why it didn't really last as long as it did. But if they had another go, I mean, if they had another season, it would have been awesome to see if they would have brought in different characters like Nightwing or maybe Batman would have taken up the cow. We would have actually found out what he did since he had left. But I am going to go over it definitely. So if anyone was concerned, I wasn't going to. So, well, thanks for writing in, Ian, and thanks for everybody else. Um, I've already got another email from Ian, but I want to wait for the next episode because it seemed like there were some spoilers in there, so I haven't exactly read it yet. But thanks again for writing in. Remember, if you guys have any questions or comments or anything, uh, just you can post, obviously, on the message board, the forums, my actual website backgirl to oracle.net and then of course email me backgirl to oracle at gmail.com okay just a small bit of news and pretty quick and it's pretty exciting i will be interviewing on june 1st that's a wednesday mr chuck dixon and mr scott betty the writers of bad girl year one of course as you many of you know my favorite story and oh i'm just really excited it should be really good so they're not opposed to answering questions from you but like the brian q miller interview if you could keep the questions succinct and just ask one in case multiple people ask questions that would be great and I, I just don't know how much time they have. You know, they're they're busy men, so they are busy gentlemen, I guess I should say. And, you know, I want to go through definitely Batgirl Year One, but I'd like to tie it to hopefully Robin Year One and Nightwing Year One. So ask your questions, send them in. Um, there's a post in the message board. You can email me, and then there's also a particular post on my website in which you can reply and ask your question. Oh, and just so I can kind of make a statement right now, if if I'm going to cover a question that you ask, then obviously it may not be asked. So any redundancies I'll probably take out, but you guys are really clever, so I, I don't really see that happening. So yes, June 1st will be an exciting time. Okay, well that's all I have for kind of the business side of BTO. So just going to hop into the reviews. Kind of exciting reviews coming up. First we have, in the vintage side, Detective Comics number 420, Target for Manana. Came out in February 1972. Writer Frank Robbins and artist Don Heck. Also included in this issue is Forecast for Tonight, Murder, X Marks the Mystery, and The Man Who Robbed a Thousand Minds. My quote here is, "Uh uh-uh, Batgirl, stick around with me. I'm going to be lonely enough without Babs. And that was coming from Jason Bard. After aiding Batgirl in taking down a narcotics operation in Gotham City, Jason Bard tells Batgirl that Commissioner Gordon and his daughter Barbara are traveling to Mexico to help the police there dealing with drug operations. Traveling with her father to Mexico, Babs and the Commish are unaware that their arrival has caught the attention of drug dealer Odds Layton. 
Upon their arrival in Mexico City, Commissioner Gordon begins his meeting with Mexico City Commissioner Garcia da Vega, while his son Carlos takes Babs around to see the sights. At a high ally match, Barbara first becomes aware of Odds and how he knows Carlos by name. It seems that Carlos is in debt to Odds for gambling. Later, when driving the Commissioner and Barbara to their hotel, Carlos's car is stopped by armed assailants. During this struggle, Commissioner Gordon manages to push Babs to safety just before being pistol-whipped and captured with Carlos. This issue is then continued, or this story rather, is then continued in the next issue, Detective Comics number 421, Up Against Three Walls, came out in March 1972. Again, writer Frank Robbins, artist Don Heck. Also included in this issue is Blind Justice, Blind Fear, Police Lineup, and the Riddler, the Riddle of the Doomed Magicians. Babs finds a note in Carlos's car and learns that the local mob demands a ransom of 12.5 million pesos for their safe return. Arriving at police headquarters as Batgirl, she convinces Commissioner Da Vega to let her return the ransom over at the designated meeting place, a high ally arena. Once there, Batgirl finds Carlos to collect the ransom from her, but realizing that he's there to collect to square his gambling debts, Batgirl refuses to hand over the money. Odds Layton then intervenes by sending out criminal high ally players who try to kill her with those deadly fast pelotas, but she uses her cape and a phony grenade to defeat them and captures Odds for the police. Afterwards, the crooks are turned over to the police. Commissioner Gordon is freed, and he thanks Batgirl for coming to the rescue, further hinting that he knows her secret identity. Yes, more hinting by the commish. This is getting about as bad as Smallville when Chloe found out Clark's secret but didn't tell him because she wanted him to come to her. You know, Batgirl assures the commish that Babs is safe, and he says that he stopped worrying as soon as he saw Batgirl. Yikes! That's, that's pretty apparent right there. Not only are we dropping hints like a toddler drops Cheerios, but once again we find Batgirl conveniently popping up in another city where Babs is visiting. And another Hispanic city, no less. Remember this happened previously in Spain? Won't people think this is odd? Does she really think her father is that naive? Wouldn't Jason think it odd that his partner is gone and then pick up a paper to see she was in Mexico that same time that Babs was? Oh dear. You know, speaking of Jason, what is with this relationship with Batgirl? I find it a little unhealthy, even if he does say it is merely professional. And then we have Babs hanging out with the Mexican guy who takes her to romantic places and speaks of flirting and love. Yeah, I don't think Jason would approve. I liked how the story started off in the midst of a drug bust, and then this drug bust actually connects with the major plot of the story. Or at least one would think getting drug dealers in Mexico was the major plot. I thought this story was good, but it's strange that it seems to go off on several different roads before it finally comes back around to the drugs. We've got drugs, touring, sports slash gambling, the mob, gambling, sports, drug. This story was like a chiastic structure on acid. If you guys don't know what chiastic structure is, well, I guess you can Google it. I, it's kind of hard to explain without um, me being there to make a diagram. But it's basically A, B, B, A, and it makes a little X. It's a 
Thai and Greek. Okay, I'm going on too much. Anyways, at first, you know, I was not sure that we were actually going to get back to the drugs, you know, because we had all this touring and sports and gambling. But the writer was able to tie it all together, which was kind of exciting. I'm also proud to say that I figured out the true nature of the crime just as Babs did, which doesn't normally happen. I thought it was the sun, you know, all along. Uh, but perhaps it's because I had to read some of the panels during the sporting event several times to figure out what exactly was going on because there were some looks and they were very subtle and I wasn't sure what was going on but I figured it out. Oh, and did you notice the change in lettering from one issue to the next? This is something that I don't often recognize so I guess that's why I'm pointing it out now. And does the high ally remind you of anything? I, I hope I'm not butchering that pronunciation there. I'll tell you what that sport, though, reminds me of. Uh, in Batman the Beyond, the animated series, they have a game very similar to this. I, I remember seeing Terry's High School having a team, and they even have the crazy arm baskets attached to them. But it seems like the point there is to score goals like hockey and not kill people. I certainly liked this pair of issues better than this main issues way back in Detective Comics 408 and 409. There may be a little too much plot potential here to be wrapped up in so neat of a bow, however. But the suspense is increasing as everyone is probably asking themselves, when will Gordon reveal what he knows? Perhaps, perhaps, we shall find out next time. I give this pair of issues 8 out of 10 bats. Okay, when I come back, I will review Batgirl number 20 and Birds of Prey number 11. During the break, please enjoy another candidate for Stephanie Brown's theme song, No Surrender, by Bruce Springsteen. And now, Zias's Radio Hour. Busted out of 
Come on, I have an idea that Batman should look into this. And don't forget Robin! Welcome back. I'm going to start off with Batgirl number 20, The Lesson, Tunnel Vision Part 2 of 2. Writer Brian Q. Miller, artist Raymond Box, and colorist Guy Major. The issue opens with a flashback on a Gotham U student who seems to have little regard for his studies and has little respect for other people. It looks like this guy is having some money issues when the Order of the Scythe comes a call in. Flash forward to Slipstream, unmasked and talking to the Order. He is upset that there is a kill switch in his suit and wants to know what the big plan is. No one but the client knows what the plan is, and everyone should remember that if they want to be paid. At Firewall, Steph is testing out a battering maker, Easy Kitchen style. It seems she can now combine different cartridges on her batterings. As Steph drools over the compact, Wendy brings us up to speed and Steph into focus by repeating what Team Batgirl knows so far. Money has been marked, and the Reapers are waiting to make an assault on the whole load once it is in transit, something the cops and banks call deck shuffle. Steph brings Babs up to speed and questions her absence from the team. Huh. Babs explains there's too much going on in her life right now and then gives a premature pep talk. In class, Steph once again has trouble keeping her thoughts from slipping out through her mouth, gets a message about the deck shuffle at the same time as Zane, the guy who was sleeping in the last issue, and then quickly realizes that Zane is slipstream. Hopping in the compact and using a GPS that seems about as defunct as the rest of them, Steph intercepts the bank vehicle seconds before slipstream arrives. Learning from her mistakes in their last tussle, and realizing why Slipstring needed to memorize directions, she is able to bring him down with an electro magna goopering combo, and her super-secret villain defeating theory. As Nick and Batgirl watch a calm Zane being shipped off to Blackgate, they discuss the fact that this is not over. As Batgirl remarks that Zane had his whole life ahead of him and wonders why he joined the Reapers, Nick confesses that he used to be one of them. And unfortunately, folks, that's all we get. As we wrap up the issue, the client is talking to the head Reaper, explaining that Zane is where he was intended to be, and the Reapers seem to have acquired a new go-to girl, Harmony. Well, the mystery of the Reapers deepens, but we get many good insights as well. We now know whom they target, and we know that Nick was one of them, which I'm sure many of us have already guessed. 
What is a little frustrating is the fact that it seemed like Nick was about to reveal more, but then he just walks off. It seems like too little is being revealed each issue. I like spending a few pages in Firewall and getting to see the new additions. It was fun to see Steph playing with the battering maker as if it were a Play-Doh machine. It was also nice to see some Steph and Wendy interactions that were physical rather than through a comlink. The Steph-Babs interaction was a little unsettling because once again we must ask, what is her new role? Steph obviously needs and misses her mentor. It seems strange that nearly two years ago, Babs told Steph not to be Batgirl. And now we have Babs abandoning her? What in the world? We also see that Babs is sick in this issue as well, and I feel like this is an important detail or why else bring our attention to it. Could the Brainiac virus be in effect again? Unfortunately, it is brought to my attention that I am missing pieces of Babs's life by not reading Detective Comics. So that's no good. If any of you know what, what the missing pieces were, let me know. I have no idea what is going on there, and how would what is going on in Detective Comics differ at all from what is going on in Birds of Prey? Oddly Placed is a panel that takes place during Steph's chase of the money wherein Dinah asks Babs if she's sure. I feel like Babs is like a mother bird, abandoning her offspring before it is time. Sure, they'll probably learn to fly and fend for themselves, but one or two may die or get seriously injured first. It doesn't seem wise to have Babs just sitting on the bench right now. I love that Steph's old habit of speaking what she is thinking comes through again when she shouts about Zane's mumbling in class. And really highlighted in this issue, probably for the first time I would say, is Steph's intelligence and creativity. Not only does she think up a good combo battering, but she is also able to realize that slipstring suit works too quickly for Zane's brain, and she uses that to her advantage. Whereas the last issue, she gives definitely a poor show. Uh, here, she really shines. Finally, it seems like a nice bond has formed between Batgirl and Detective Nick. It's nice to wrap up an issue and, and even wrap up a case with them talking. Oddly, uh, I found myself wondering how wrong would it be for those two to be romantically involved. But, you know, honestly, thinking about it now, I don't really think that would be a good idea. That is, This is not Pretty Little Liars. Uh, but overall, it was a good issue. Um, you know, we're getting more information, but we're still far from the clear picture. Could Clue Master be the client? That would kind of be interesting. You know, who has brains, power, and patience? Could it be one of the Desmond brothers? You know, or I suppose only one of them. I suppose only time will tell. Give this 8 out of 10 bats. And now we have Birds of Prey. Will this wipe the uh, bad taste out of my mouth, which was Death of Oracle? I, I guess you'll find out. Birds of Prey number 11, which reason knows not of? Writer Gail Simone, Ard Pere Perez, and Colors Name Rufino. We leap into the issue as Huntress chases after a burglar involved in a jewel heist. As she chases after him, she explains to readers the lead-up to these events. Huntress quickly realizes, after shooting his motorcycle tire, which causes him to fling off of it, and then shooting his foot, that this guy has a lot of motivation since he just keeps going. 
It's like the Energizer Bunny. As Huntress has a physical altercation with the perp, Babs, not Oracle, okay, not Oracle, but still acting like Oracle, but not Oracle, tells her that the men took a hostage with severe asthma and no inhaler. The perp tries to use a gun, and Catman swoops in, threatens the perp, defends Helena's honor. Does she really have any of that? Nearly kills the perp, manages to get some information about another perp, and then kisses Helena. Helena, while perhaps turned on a little bit, slaps Catman, but decides that they can work on this case together. Meanwhile, Babs, who has a sinus infection, is visited by Dinah, who brings her famous chili that apparently has a very, um, cleansing effect. At the home of Ricky Lowlife, wow, what a name, Catman goes bat you-know-what, hits a pregnant woman in the face, gets wounded, but is finally able to get some info out of Ricky. As Huntress patches Catman up, she talks to him about ethics and ends up giving him her cross. The team reaches the place where the hostage is being held, takes out the last piece of resistance, which is a white quasi-sumo wrestler-looking chap with a katana and a bad appetite for women, and then rescues the girl. Alas, all is not so simple, as Huntress turns her crossbow on Catman and accuses him of being in on the heist. Huntress tells Catman to leave the loot and go back to the Secret Six, and gives him another slap for good measure. Catman, in an act of pure desperation, tells her that he has a son who has been kidnapped. He is alive, but the kidnappers aren't, and Catman has lost his soul. Helena is done with Catman because of his lies, and it is revealed that this was an elaborate scheme on Catman's part to get Helena to give up on him and stay away from him for her own good. On the next Days of Our Lives, do-do-do-do. Wow, uh, did you keep up with that? That seriously was something out of a soap opera. This was probably more elaborate than that vintage issue where Superman and Batman were really aliens, and then they were really robots. Or am I confusing things? The point is that this seems to be a very convoluted issue. Okay, so Catman feels like he is rotten inside and does not want to spoil Huntress. Why not stop talking to her completely? Why pop up and force yourself to interact with her? You could also just be very straightforward. Ugh, why are men so confusing? This marks perhaps the third issue in a row where Helena is the mouthpiece. Am I sensing a pattern here? In this case, perhaps more than the others, I think that it works because of the great discussion on ethics, which I will bring up later here. Helena really seems to be gaining prominence on the team to be highlighted so much. This issue seemed a little more violent than usual, which really fits because of the two main characters involved. I mean, you have to look at their methods. I do think Helena has gotten much better, though. You know, way back when, she probably would have shot the perp through his eye. But, you know, she was kind, and she chose his foot instead. I do wonder why the first perp uh, kept getting back up and his endurance was highlighted. It seems too much to say that it was, quote, motivation, end quote, when he was shot through the foot with an arrow and then proceeds to fight Huntress, which is really never a good idea in the first place. I feel like it would have made more sense to have this guy be an average Joe and be put down after the motorcycle accident instead of having him seem really special and then not go into any explanation of it. Now let's get to this topic of ethics. I love the fact that it is Huntress of all people who is the one talking about ethics and their role in the life of a superhero. It's almost as good as if uh, Jason Todd were to talk about it. There's a line, Tom. Call it a line of ethics. On one end is Captain Marvel, Superman, guys like that. On the other, the Joker, 
Luther, were both in this big, stupid gray area in the middle. And that probably would be the quote from the book. You can really tell from this speech and Helena's inner monologue throughout the issue that this is something which really bothers her. It seems like it is getting tougher and tougher for her to straddle the line. She really boosted her character, though, keeping Catman in check. Who else could have? Oh, and shall I forget Babs? For it certainly was a forgettable amount of screen time. Not only do we get to see Babs change clothes, how fun for us, but we also learn that she is sick and has an aversion to Dinah's stew. Again, the sickness there. Is this the sort of appearance that I should be expecting from now on from a character that made the Birds of Prey? I surely hope not. Give this 8 out of 10 birds. It did clean my palate from the awfulness of Death of Oracle. Um, and actually, you know, it looked like we, we got a decent artist to draw the book. So go Perez. And of course, we've seen him before in Batgirl. So better than Death of Oracle, but still, I'm concerned with Babs's new position. But let us leave these sad and troubling issues and, and go to Babs in the Tube, where it is a bit more lighthearted. Yes, Babs in the Tube. This is the segment where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently, if you are new to the show, I am watching the 1966 Batman TV series. This is episode 99. Season 3, Episode 5, A Horse of Another Color, it was Part 2, following up from the last one, came out, or I suppose it aired, October 12, 1967. Starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Frank Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Alan Napier as Alfred Pennyworth, and Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl. Guest starring Ethel Merman as Lola Lasagna and Constance Davis as Myrtle. Quote, No, I cannot let my own ward ride my own thoroughbred. People would think it was funny. Penguin schemes to make a bundle for Lola and himself by disguising the glue factory reject as parasol. And the real parasol, under the moniker of Bumbershoot, that way everyone will bet on the paste parasol, while the penguin will make a killing from a wager on the true horse, which is an unmistakable long shot. Needing the quick ten grand to place that wager, he goes right back to Gotham Library to resume stealing the valuable parasol folio, unwittingly activating an emergency library prowler alarm, signaling Barbara Gordon, who immediately contacts her dad, Commissioner Gordon, who calls Batman and Robin, who rushes to the library in time to catch Penguin plucking the folio. He gasses everyone with his umbrella and escapes. Knowing Penguin is short of funds, the Batman places a wanted-to-buy ad in the collector's newspaper for a valuable book on parasols. The Penguin spots the ad, how convenient, and contacts the advertiser, Mr. A. L. Fred, who is actually Alfred the butler in disguise, of course, and offers to sell him the folio for the needed amount of betting cash. The felonious Fowl is angered to no end upon discovering the caped crusader has returned the stolen foil and, blaming Barbara Gordon, he sends her a deadly gas-filled toy penguin. Penguin goes to the track to place his bet and scratches off all the horses in the race with the exception of Parasol and a newcomer, Bumbershoot, literally, with some well-placed itching powder. 
Bruce learns of this scheme and guesses the true nature of Penguin's plan to ride Bumbershoot in the race and immediately enters his own horse, Wainbow. Kind of like Rainbow, but spelled W-A-Y-N-B-E-A-U. In the handicap, knowing it's a shoe and to win, Alfred knows Bruce would like Bad Girl as jockey for Wainbow, as Dick Grayson is set to ride the phony parasol. The dutiful butler then rushed to the library, or rushes, I suppose, to the library in time to smother the toy penguin before it gets a chance to do any harm, and then informs Barbara about Bruce's plan for the race. Later, at the racetrack, the caped crusaderess on Wainbow easily passes Penguin on Bumbershoot and handily wins the handicap. Realizing something has gone awry, the black bird of prey quickly waddles back to the jockey room to switch into his regular garb before escaping, and finds that the dynamic trio have tailed him, no pun intended. They battle the henchmen and proceed to put salt on the penguin's tail once again. In Gotham City Library, the King of the Nile, Tut, is ogling some rare ancient Egyptian scrolls. To be continued. Don't you think it odd that Penguin has a bookshop in the middle of a city? I don't even know if I can call it a hideout. I mean, if you wanted to find him, it seems like it would be easy, especially since it's called something like Penguin's Books. I've kind of forgotten that. But, mm, I don't know about that. And, oh boy, A. Alfred, that, that is fantastic as an alter ego for Alfred. How clever. I do like how Babs has to say she is disobeying Batman and her father before she explains why she is calling Bruce Wayne. It's not, hello, it's, well, I'm disobeying Batman and my father by calling you, but I'd just like to let you know. Yeah, who does that? Oh, and hell hath no fury like a penguin scorned. He blames all of his troubles on Ms. Barbara Gordon after she turned him down. And Penguin has his own minions. I always love seeing the names of the minions. Armband and Visor. And sure enough, one of them does, has an, does have an armband and the other one does wear a visor. Costume-wise, now there are some really good costumes going on, but Penguin as a jockey is very strange. It's strange to see him. I would like to know. How Myrtle gets knocked out by the gas. Myrtle is, well, she's a librarian that's working with Barbara. How does that happen? How does she get knocked out by the gas, but Barbara does not, who happens to be a few inches away? Kind of confusing. And I've never really noticed this before, but the poles that lead to the Batcave have names on them. Does it really matter which pole Batman or Robin go down? It's very odd. Uh, and, and seriously, strangest horse race Ever. I've I don't even know what to say. Actually a good thing would be the Swiss family Robinsons, right? Where the, the family is riding on ostriches and other things. Yeah, that that would equate I would say. I hope you realize you cannot put an untrained person on a horse and expect him or her to perform well in a race. Uh so really they those horses probably should have been going wild because Batgirl, Robin and Penguin would not have known how to handle those horses. And and I, frankly, I'm just wondering now when everyone will find out about everyone else's identities. Um, whether this is coming from the fact that there are so many hints going on in Detective Comics, and I'm wondering when Jim Gordon's going to let his daughter know, or just because Batman and Robin always make some, some sort of comment as to Batgirl's real identity, who knows. But 
Will this happen? I guess only time will tell. And of course the end. Wouldn't you be a little nervous that there was a crazy person five feet away from you uh, in an enclosed space like a library? Just saying. If I saw a King Tut dressed man and found out that he was schizophrenic, I'd be a little scared. Uh, but once again, yeah, I give this episode 9 out of 10 bats. Well, that is it for my reviews. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, to round out the episode, uh, I have, of course, my literary recommendation, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens. Um, it's a novel by, obviously, Charles Dickens, first published in 1850. Many elements within the novel follow events in Dickens' own life, and it is probably the most autobiographical of all of his novels. Similar to Jane Eyre, which I recommended last episode, the story is a first-person narrative that deals with the life of David Copperfield from childhood to maturity. It's perhaps one of the greatest aspects of this novel is the, the list of unique and influential characters that David meets throughout his life. It took a little while. It was about 730 pages, but it was it was well worth it. You know, the first chapter was a little slower, uh, but then it really, it really did start to speed up. So I, I recommend it if you're a Dickens fan. I think that you would you would like this one. Questions, comments, uh, be sure to email me at badgirltooracle at gmail.com. Remember to write in to ask Mr. Chuck Dixon and Scott Betty a question. Remember, keep it short and one per person. Continue to sign the petition, obviously, to get Batgirl Year One back into production. We have already made a great impact, 707 signatures currently. Of course, you can go to www.gopetition.com slash petitions slash Batgirl-year-one.html. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thanks also to TV.com for the episode summary for A Horse of a Different Color. Please be sure to check out Legends of the Batman, the podcast, at batmanlegends.com. Remember to stay tuned after the show to hear another candidate for Steph's theme song, I'm Alive by Becca. And until next time, enjoy the spring, the pollen that's floating around, and where I am, all the showers. And be careful of tornadoes. There's some crazy tornadoes going on, so stay safe and fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Batgirl! Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you?